What's up, Bridge family? If you guys got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Psalm 51. Head over to Psalm 51. And uh, man, want to go ahead and say, what's up, Coffee House venue? Good to see you guys too. We're excited about that over there, not in here. All right, so man, let's do that. And uh, man, while we're uh, doing that, just want to celebrate. A couple things happened in our church last week that were so like out of this world that uh, we'd be crazy not to celebrate. And so one, um, we crammed uh, about 3,300 people into our two campuses. We fit into our services last week about like I'd fit into my high school jeans. Come on, somebody. And, uh, and so we, uh, we, we kind of did, did whatever we could. Uh, last week, so we opened the coffee house venue for the first week last week as a uh, as 100-person overflow. That coffee house venue, this room was full. That room was full. We had overflow for our overflow last week. So, man, I want to thank everybody that's in the coffee house venue just making seats in here. We also uh, launched our Bridge Church Columbia student ministry. They had their first meeting ever last week. They had over 100 people at the first ever student ministry gathering in Columbia. And then here's the one that uh, I really want to celebrate. Last week in one week, 110 people made decisions to follow Christ. So man, that is un... Yeah, that's right, man. We never, ever, ever want to stop celebrating that. And uh, man, we praise Christ for that. So here's where we are today. Um, we're in week two of a series that we're just calling Dangerous Prayers. And we're calling this series that because there, there are these prayers that are all throughout the Bible, that they are scary to pray. But unless we're willing to like go there in our hearts with the Lord, um, we'll never be able to move to the next level with him. So last week we hit the prayer, search me. Um, next week we'll hit the very dangerous prayer, send me. Um, the last week of this series, it'll be one that doesn't sound dangerous. It's actually very dangerous. It's the, it's the prayer, unite us. Um, and, and today is a little unique. Let me lead into uh, today kind of doing this. I like to start with something funny. Um, I heard about a guy that died and went to heaven, was escorted into heaven um, by Peter. And as he was being escorted in, um, he was walking down a hall in heaven and saw all these clocks that were ticking at like different speeds. And he asked, man, what, what's the deal with the clocks? And Peter went on to explain that every person on earth has a clock and every time they sin, the, uh, the hand of the clock moves. So he went down and he saw one clock that was almost perfectly still. And that was Billy Graham's clock. And he saw another st- clock that was just inching along. That was Mother Teresa. Finally got curious and said, man, um, can I see my clock? And Peter explained, oh, we keep yours in the office and use it as a fan. Okay, so there it is, man. <laughs> And I think uh, the, the, the prayer that we're praying today, it's like it's one that resonates with all of us that look at ourselves and we go, man, there's a lot of stuff in me that's wrong and that needs to be fixed. And I, uh, let me lead into it um, kind of with this. Um, it's really interesting. I'm going to find out who my friends are right here. Um, it's really interesting if you look um, at the, uh, the development or the evolution of how pictures, how images um, have been displayed in our culture. So for instance, like right now, Uh, We are in the snap and upload generation. It's social media. It's instantaneous. You snap it. It's uploaded in three seconds. And then the entire world can just discover what you just snapped and uploaded. Now, let me just say this. I'm I'm 35 right now, okay? Just just turned 35 not too long ago. Um, Pray. Here's what I say. Praise Jesus there was no social media when I was in high school. Amen? Pray. I am so glad. The last thing I need is all my high school girlfriends, like all those dates on, you know, for everybody. I don't need that, right? And so right now, 250 million images get uploaded to Instagram every day. 400 million images get uploaded to Facebook every day. And the number one hashtag in the world, it's not even close. It's like, it's this huge gap and everything else. Hashtag selfie. 
most common hashtag. We are not obsessed with ourselves at all in my generation. That's not it, okay? So that's now. Now, if you just rewind a little bit, you get back to this monstrosity. You guys know what this is? I mean, this was like NASA brown gr- groundbreaking, like, oh my gosh, technology. I am just old enough to remember the first time I saw one of these. For those of you who are uninitiated, this is a Polaroid instant camera. And I put instant in quotes on, for a reason. So here's what this was. The first time I saw one of these, we were like, that's the mark of the beast. Like, you know, it's like, so this is what this is, is you would take this guy, and I'm going to take a picture of this worship guy real quick. You hold this button down, red light comes on, you would hear it charge. And then when the red light goes off, boom, there you go. And then it spits out this little image. And it develops, quote unquote, instantly. That's what this does. Now, when I say instantly, this takes about 20 minutes, okay? And so what you would do is you just sit around fanning yourself like a moron. And, you, you know, just kind of that's how this works. But when we first, you got to understand, if, if you're like younger than me and you're like, I've never seen that. The first time we saw one of these, we were like, mind blown. You know, we have arrived, you know, as a human race. And so this, was, uh, so this was not too long ago. So that's that one, and I'll keep this up here and look at your pretty faces later. Now, uh, if you go back just a little farther, um, we used to do this guy. Who knows what this guy is? Know what this guy is? Okay. If you know what this is, we can be friends. That's what this is. This is 35 millimeter film, okay? Now, for those of you who don't know what this is, let me exp- I know this is, gonna, this is seriously going to blow your mind. So what we used to have to do is you would take this film and you'd buy it from like Walgreens. Then you would load it into a machine that was not your phone. And you would put it in there and you would have stretch out. And then you, would ha- you had a limited, you had 25 pictures or 30 pictures, whatever it was. And you had to be super careful. Know- this is mind blowing, okay? You could only take one picture of every scenario. People didn't like take, you know, never mind, I can't stay here. So what you would do is you would take your pictures. Then when you were done, you would take this out of your camera and then you would put it into an envelope, drive the envelope. We sound like, you know, like cavemen here. Drive it to Walgreens or Walmart, leave it in the envelope with them. Then you would get it in, I kid you not, a week later, you would get a picture, and in that week, you would pray and fast and beg God that you had not taken five pictures of your foot, because you didn't know. You genuinely didn't know what was on the camera. So here's what this is. Now, here's what's really interesting, okay? Um, a lot of us, what we think is that our destiny or the calling, who God wants us to become, we think that that's going to be snap and upload, that God has already put in me what needs to be there. And now I'm just waiting for the world to discover me and elevate me into the calling that God has for my life. But when you read the Bible, what you're going to find out is that that is not how God develops the image of Christ in us. Um, We don't need to be discovered. The Bible says we need to be developed. And the image of Christ takes place over time. Okay, Now, that development process is something that the Bible calls breaking. How God develops the image of Christ onto our souls is a process called breaking. And the prayer that is very dangerous that I'm asking you to consider genuinely praying before the Lord today is the prayer, break me. God, will you please, I need you to break me. Okay, so if you got your Bibles, pick up with me in Psalm 51. I'm going to read two verses, three verses down here, starting in verse 15. And this is what it says. Listen to how David prays. David prays, O Lord... Open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. 
For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Watch these words. So broken spirit. And then he says, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Okay? Now, let me start here. Um, There's a tremendous amount of confusion around the word broken and breaking in the Bible. There's a lot of you who think you read broken heart, and you think, oh, broken heart equals sad heart. Uh, Did you guys notice in the psalm that David says, let the bones that you have broken rejoice? That's interesting. Um, He also says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. So let me do this math with you. The Bible is saying that it's possible to be simultaneously broken and rejoicing. In fact, the New Testament says that the more broken I am, the greater the capacity for joy that I have. So if brokenness doesn't equal sadness, what does brokenness equal? What, so what are we praying when we ask God like David, break me? What does that mean? Um, when I was in uh, high school, the uh, unquestioned patriarch of the Howerton family was my grandfather. If any of you were here at the bridge 10 years ago, you met my papa wheeling around in his electric wheelchair. Um, Papa was a paragon of human strength and just self-reliance. If John Wayne became a pastor, it would be Papa. Okay, that was kind of his thing. And so uh, there's all these like little mythological stories that float around or, uh, about my Papa. Um, true story, when my dad was in elementary school, Papa took him to Shoney's for breakfast and an armed gunman walked into Shoney's to rob it while my dad and Papa were getting breakfast, and Papa disarmed him with his bare hands, okay? So it's just like, now I would say, man, if a guy is robbing Shoney's, just let him have it, bro. He's got a, he's got a worse life than you, you know, whatever it is, but, but he did that. Uh, another true story. Uh, one time, um, my papa left my dad and my uncle in a car while he ran into a grocery store. By the way, you can't do that now. And this story is why you can't do that now. Um, and uh, my dad disengaged the parking brake while papa was in the store. Car started rolling down a steep hill toward the glass front of the grocery store. Um, at the last minute, my papa, according to legend, ran out of the front door of the grocery store and just stopped it with his hulking mass of humanity, okay? <laughs> so there's all these, like, these, and they're true. There's these stories about my papa. He's just this incredible, strong man, self-reliant, that kind of thing. Here's what was really interesting. At the end of my papa's life, the most common sentence he uttered was a sentences that started with, I can't or I need. Um, over his life, he weighed over 300 pounds for almost all of his life. Um, he had four heart attacks. At the end of his life, he developed a condition called spinal stenosis. That's when your spinal cords, your spinal column squeezes your spinal cords and it paralyzes you. He's paralyzed from the mouth down for the last few years of his life. And so over and over, this guy who used to do everything for himself that you could rely on for any amount of strength, um, the most common sentences we heard were, I need. I need food. Can someone feed me? Uh, I need a drink. Can someone help me? Um, one of the most... Weird phone calls I've ever gotten. I got a call. I live two miles away from him, Franklin. Papa called me one day when I was in college, home from college, and he said, hey, Josh, uh, I need you. Can you come over? I said, hey, what do you need? And he said, well, I just went to the bathroom, and I can't clean myself, and I need your help. I want you to think about this. This man who had disarmed people with his bare hands and stopped vehicles, he could no longer clean himself after he went to the bathroom. Do you know what brokenness is? Brokenness isn't sadness. Brokenness is when you can't do it yourself. Guys, God does not want you depressed. He, he very much wants you dependent. And the, the cry of brokenness, the prayer of the broken, isn't I'm sad, it's I can't. 
Okay? Now, what God does, you'll see in the Bible what God always does is he always breaks us in the same way. He wants you to be broken. By the way, let me just say this. Your sin cannot keep you from heaven. Your self-righteousness can. If you demand, if you stubbornly insist that you are good enough or that you can be good enough on your own without being dependent on Christ and his righteousness, then the Bible says you will be separated from God. Jesus said, Jesus said, watch this. He said, the prostitutes and the tax collectors enter the kingdom of God before you Pharisees. The reason he said that is because why? I can, Jesus can take care of sin. Self-righteousness will distance us from God. Good people don't go to heaven. Dependent people go to heaven. Okay. Now, God always, what he does to break us, here's why I'm getting ready to say what I'm getting ready to say. Some of you right now are in a season of pain and you think God is punishing you. He's not punishing you, he's breaking you. Uh, and God always goes about this the same way. Um, let me show you this in the passage. If you look down at the passage, look right under the heading of this psalm where it says Psalm 51. This is one of the only psalms in the Bible where we know the exact situation David was in when he wrote it. Right under the heading, it says, a psalm of David when he was confronted by Nathan after he had gone into Bathsheba. Now, you got to remember, the Bible says that David had been a man after God's own heart. So David was a, a, an example of righteousness. He loved what God loved. But at the end of his life, God allowed him to make a mistake that broke that. At the end of his life, David was standing on a roof, and he saw a woman bathing named Bathsheba. And David committed two sins, not just one. One, he had an affair with Bathsheba. But two, he abused his power and abused and took advantage of somebody that was under his care. And so he did that. But then it didn't stop there. The problem about Bathsheba is, she became, one, she became pregnant. But the problem was that one of David's military generals was Bathsheba's husband, a man named Uriah the Hittite. And so what David did is he knew he had to cover up his sin. And so he told all the other generals in his army to put Uriah in the front of a battle and then as soon as the enemy attacked, to withdraw so that Uriah would certainly be killed. So in addition to an affair and abuse, David added murder. And then for the next year of David's life, he spent all of his energy trying to cover up, rationalize, and excuse the sin that he had committed until one day a prophet named Nathan, a man that was like David's pastor, came right into his court and confronted David after God had revealed to Nathan what David had done. So David all of a sudden had all the curtain back on his sin, and he knew that one, God knew about his sin, but two, he knew how serious it was. Now here's what's really interesting. In Psalm 51, when David writes this psalm, in that moment, David prays something really weird. He prays in verse 7, he says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Now what in the world does that mean? Why in the world is David praying, purge me with hyssop? If you go to Wikipedia and search hyssop, it seems really random. It's just a random plant that produces white flowers. But if you go to a Bible concordance and search theologically what is hyssop, here's what's really interesting. There are only two times in the Old Testament hyssop is used. One, when the angel of death passed through Egypt, killing all of the firstborn, and God wanted to save his people of faith. He told them to take the blood of a slain lamb and to wipe it on the doorposts of the houses. And do you remember what plant he specifically commanded they use to wipe the blood of the slain lamb over their houses? Hyssop. Hyssop. I'll give you another one. Uh, in the book of Leviticus, God said if somebody had a disease of leprosy that was killing their skin and making them unclean, he said they could go present themselves to the priest 
and the priest could wipe the blood of a slain lamb on the diseased portion of their skin and that God would miraculously heal them. Do you remember what plant God commanded be used in that ordinance? It, it was hyssop. Now here's what David's doing here. Both of those things were pointing forward to Christ. What it's saying is that his blood spread on us by hyssop purges us. The cross takes away the penalty for our sin, but the resurrection can make all things new. Now, what am I saying? Okay, you might, what's all this have to do with anything? How God broke David is he showed him that the weight of his sin was greater than the strength of his righteousness. So he forced him to cry out for a cleansing outside of himself. He had to look somewhere else besides himself for a righteousness and be dependent on an external given righteousness, not of his own. That is how God will always break you. Have you ever heard um, somebody do this? This is, my, this is like a Christian pet peeve of mine. You're in a season of pain and loss, and some well-meaning church friend, they'll put their hand on your shoulder and they say, Oh, brother, or oh, sister, you know, you know how they talk. I say, oh, brother, oh, sister, don't worry because God will never give you more than you can handle. Whenever, some, whenever somebody says that, I want to smile at him and say, shut up. <laughs> because the Bible says literally the opposite of that. What the Bible says is that God, if in his great love for you, he will certainly give you more than you can handle so you are forced to depend on him. And when he does that, what he's doing is he is breaking you. He doesn't, listen, he is not looking for good people. There's not one of those in this room. He's looking for dependent people. And he will do anything that it takes to turn you into somebody that relies on him. He may in your life give you a pain that you can't endure so that you have to depend on his strength like Job. He may give you a sin or a temptation that you can't conquer. So you have to depend on the sufficiency of his grace like Paul. He may call you to something greater than your ability so that you have to depend on his power like Moses. He may allow a betrayal or a desertion in your life that you can't take so that you have to depend on his love like David. He may allow a season of depression or sadness so that you have to learn to depend on the joy of the Lord becoming your strength like Nehemiah. And he will do this to you because he loves you and he will do it to every one of you that prays it for the same reason. Because you'll never realize that God is all you need until God is all you have. He will take you to the end of yourself so that you learn that he is sufficient for whatever you need a supply for. He will do that for you. Now listen, what I'm getting ready to say may be the most practical thing I'll say in this whole sermon. Some of you are in a season in your life right now where God is breaking you now. Or you might be waking up to your need for him and wanting to grow in your relationship with him for the first time. Here's what I need you to understand. The very essence of the Christian life is not being good, although it will produce that. The very essence of the Christian life is being dependent on Jesus Christ. And you need to develop rhythms in your life that, so that you're not just broken by God once, but you stay in a position of brokenness. If you're in that season, arguably the best thing that you could do is attend week two, step two of our growth track. Growth track is a four-step process that we have specifically designed to help you develop rhythms of dependency in God, on God in your life so that you can grow in your relationship with him and become the image of Christ that he has destined you to become. Okay, so that might be the greatest thing that you can do coming out of this sermon today. Now, here's the big question. Everybody in this room knows that being broken, well, that's not comfortable. So why in the world would anyone in this room pray the dangerous prayer, God, break me? Why would anybody pray, God, break me? Well, have you guys ever noticed this? Have you ever noticed that all throughout the Bible, there is a pattern that uh, whenever God uses someone, he anoints them. You'll see this in the Bible. God will anoint them. 
And so God will come to a person like David, and when God, watch this, when he appoints David to become a king, he anoints David for his future position. And every time that you see anointing in the Bible, it's the same symbol every time. The symbol of anointing is oil. Over and over and over again, someone is anointed with oil, and that anointing oil is the symbol of the anointing power that God is going to place on their life. Now, here's what I want you to see. A lot of people want the anointing, but they don't want how that anointing comes. Let me, let me show you what I mean. What I got right here, um, this is an oil press. This is an olive press. And so um, what a lot of people want is, I'm going to show it to you here in a second because I'm going to make some. What a lot of people want is, is they want the oil of anointing on their life. Like, man, God, use me. God, give me the power. You know, God, do a work through me in this world. Make me become who you want me to become. But a lot of people, they want that, but they don't want the process by which God creates that in your life. Okay? Now, now watch this. Here's how this works. Um, whenever somebody wants to create oil, specifically like anointing oil, what they do is they take this vile substance known as an olive, and they, they, you know, they put them in the olive press, the most disgusting little things in the whole world. And uh, what you have to do is you put these olives in an olive press, and then if somebody wants to create oil or any type of oil, anointing oil, what they have to do is they have to take those olives and then press them down into the olive press, and then what they have, have to do is they have to grind them. Um, the olives have to be crushed uh, crushed and broken in order for them to eventually turn into oil. Now, a lot of people want the outcome, like they want the anointing of God on their life, the outcome of the crushing, but they want to skip past the crushing. And some of you are in this spot right now where it's like, man, you are in this grinding spot where it's like, man, your marriage is falling apart. Your kids are going the wrong way. Um, the finances are not working out and it looks like you're going to lose the business. The depression will not lift. Uh, your relationship uh, with your children is brought all these things. And listen, what's happening to you, you think God is punishing you. He's not punishing you. He's breaking you. And what you always see, watch this, what you always see is that brokenness leads to blessing and crushing leads to anointing. That's always. And so after that process, after the crushing of the olives happen, the outcome, the outcome is the anointing oil. The anointing of God comes from the crushing of God. No, watch this. No crushing, no anointing, no brokenness, no blessing, no death, no resurrection. The, listen, there is a direct correlation between the amount of crushing that happens in your life and the amount of anointing that happens on your life. However much you are willing to allow God to do in you what he wants to do in you, that's how much God will be able to do through you what he wants to do through you. Listen, think about this. Right before Jesus went to the cross, Jesus went to a place called Gethsemane where he was crushed. He was crushed to the point that blood came out of his pores. And Jesus prays, God, if it is possible, take this cup for me. Can you do this any other way? And God's answer was no. Do you know why God's answer was no? Because blessing always comes from breaking. You have to be broken in order for me to pour out the blessing. In fact, do you guys know this? Do you know what Gethsemane means? It means olive press. It was the place where Jesus was crushed so that the anointing of his forgiveness, power, and grace could be poured out on us. Brokenness, no blessing. Crushing, anointing, death, resurrection. It's the only way. Now listen, some of you guys are here right now and you're in that spot. And what you need to know, you're in the season of breaking, but you're not seeing the blessing. You're in the season of crushing. You're not seeing the anointing. 
And what you need to see right now is, is, is you need to hear that that's coming. And so I've never done this before. For the first time in 10 years at the bridge, will you welcome my favorite church member in the whole church to the stage, my wife, Jana. Will you do that right now? Jana. Come on, Jana. That's right. Come on. There you go. That's it. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Jana is not nervous at all, guys. Not one little bit. Right? Right. <laughs> hey, you're really pretty. You're really handsome. <laughs> okay. You're not nervous at all? No, not at all. Right. She's a liar. She's yeah. a liar. So let's start with something easy. Tell yeah. us about your irrational love of Hallmark Christmas movies. Yeah. Jo- not really. Don't do it. Okay. okay. Well, I was going to kind of out you because Josh keeps bringing that up, but he doesn't want to tell you that he really likes it. Stop. Too. Stop it. I'm never inviting you on stage again. Okay. Um, well, hey. Jana, there's a reason, you know, that, uh, by the way, everything um, that Jana's getting ready to share is, first, first of all, very vulnerable. And we're going to talk about some stuff that happened in our marriage, too. Um, but Jana's not going to say anything that we haven't talked through before. She's got my full blessing to share everything she's getting ready to share. And so, um, Jana, can we just start here? Um, a few years ago, we had a season in your life, specifically your life, where it was really clear that God was breaking you for more than a year. Um, do you want to talk about just like what happened and then, you know, what that did in you? Yes. Yeah. During that season of our life, um, I just went through a time where I felt like, um, I was dying the death of two different dreams. And so if you've been around the bridge for any time at all, you probably heard Josh share a little bit about our infertility struggle, but, um, that was a time that was really hard for us. We, we always knew from the time we met in college and got engaged that one day we would adopt, and we were excited about that. But we also thought that naturally biological children would come first, and then they didn't. And so year after year, as people um, started to see we still didn't have children, a lot of questions started coming in. And I did my best to just try to respond and answer with the most faith-filled answer that I could give them about waiting on God's timing and what He was going to do in our lives. And I meant it. But there was a part of me, like inwardly, I was really struggling. I was really hurting. I was really sad. I was bitter. Um, and I was angry. And I didn't want to share that part of, of my heart. Um, I just, and part of me was in denial over things too. I was angry that people who didn't want children were given children. Uh, People who were abusive towards their children seemed to be given more. I felt intense shame um, over the fact that I wasn't able to have a biological child. It felt like my fear was that God saw something so bad and defective in me, and he didn't want to reproduce that in any other human, Um, and that was crushing. I also felt a lot of guilt. Uh, We had already adopted our precious daughter, Eliana, and I just felt like my sadness over my infertility um, was a betrayal of my love for her. And so I was just struggling through that. Like, how do I process this? Like, what does that look like? And just fear over even feeling that way. And then lastly, when it comes down to it, and this is embarrassing to share you all, but um, I struggled with jealousy. It was really hard for me to see people with van loads of kids, um, just having so many kids. And then on top of it, they also got the blessing of adoption as well. And that just, 
it, it was hard for me not to just understand, God, what are you doing? Like, why, why don't you want this for me? Is there something wrong with me? What's so broken and so messed up about me that you don't want us to have the gift of children? And so that was, that was a really hard time in our life. But then during that same season, what, what really broke you, <laughs> there was something else that happened, you know, with us that really, really took you over the edge, too, and I feel like was that thing that, that broke you. And uh, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so if all of that wasn't enough, um, at that same time, I had to die the death of a, a ministry dream. And so um, what most of you probably don't know at that time point in time, I was actually our kids' minister here at the bridge, and I was not a good fit for that role. Um, that... <laughs> that role is way outside of my gift set, and I, I should have let it go, but because it served the purpose of fulfilling a lifelong dream of mine of, of being on a church staff, I just couldn't do what I needed to do and step away, and so instead, Josh had to let me go, and... <laughs> I'm the least popular man in this room right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know if any of you have been fired by your spouse, but <laughs> we do not recommend it. No, we don't. No, our house was pretty tense um, for quite a few months after that. But talk about talk about what that did in your heart and how how that made you feel. Yeah, um, I, I really struggled with a lot of anger towards Josh during that time because I felt like each week I got to watch him live out his ministry dream, and I felt like he had taken mine from me, and um, and then I was just hurt. I just I felt like my husband doesn't believe in me. He doesn't believe that I can be on staff doing this role, and so that was really hard. Now, looking back, I, I can honestly say, like, Josh made the best, most wisest decision he could. He led our family well. He did for me what I couldn't do for myself. And um, I absolutely think it was the, the right decision. But my heart did not feel that way at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was, I mean, that was a really, that was a year of, of true brokenness for you. But then, like, you know, you're in this spot where it's really unique, where now we're, we've been able to move past that and move from the, the breaking to the blessing and almost like the crushing to the anointing. And God's recently started to show you why he was doing all those things you didn't understand. And do you want to talk about that? Yes, I'd love to. So, yeah, so many great things have come out of that time. Um, one, I grew in my walk with the Lord like I would not have if I had not had to go through those t- trials and the brokenness of it all. And I know him and his character in ways I did not know before. I understand his love for me in ways I wouldn't um, outside of those trials. And then God gave us two tangible um, gifts in our daughters, Eliana and Felicity, and then hopefully soon we'll get to bring our son um, Hudson home through adoption. Yes. Thank you, one person. Thank you. Thank you. So we're really excited about that, and those were huge, huge blessings we would not trade for the world. Um, And also, God, he took my greatest pain, and he turned it into my greatest ministry, and um, he gave me a ministry I did not seek out for myself, but he, he just kind of gave to me as he would send woman after woman who was struggling with either infertility or wanting to know more about the adoption process and hearing about that. He just kept sending them my way and giving me a new vision and a new ministry. 
Mm-hmm. And then um, most recently, it was actually because during the read, read the book plan this summer, I was reading Psalm 127.3, and it talks about the fruit of the womb is a blessing. And I just, I have read those verses for years, and they have been kind of almost, I get it, but they, it, it was lost on me because I was like, how does that apply, apply to me, Lord? I don't, I don't know how this applies. And he just gave me a completely new perspective um, to help me see that every child who is adopted through the Bridges No More Fatherless initiative are the fruit of my womb. Mm-hmm. Um, what most of you probably don't know is Josh's inspiration for the No More Fatherless um, with the adoption aspect came out of all those years of pain that we had gone through, and God gave him a vision for the No More Fatherless. And so what God did was he, where I thought my womb was broken and dead, and he brought it to new life. He resurrected it to new life and gave it a new ministry um, to see many kids come home to their adoptive parents. Come on, somebody. That's good right there. Yeah, man. (laughs) Yeah. Man, you're so good. You're good. Um, Man, Jan, I know there's a lot of people here um, today who they're in that spot where it's like, man, I'm being broken and I don't see the blessing. Or, you know, I'm being crushed and I, I don't see any anointing coming out of that. And I don't even see how it could. Um, you've been there, <laughs> most certainly. And uh, what would you say to that person? Yeah, to give you hope, um, the only reason I'm able to sit here today and share with you is because, like, I am not in that same place. I am not bitter. I am not angry. I am not mad at God. And that is because he is faithful. Mm -hmm. He did not choose to change my circumstances, but instead he chose to change me. Mm -hmm. And um, Mm -hmm. you may be in a season where you don't understand. You don't understand what God is doing. But I, I just encourage you, press on. Push... Just push into your relationship with him. Seek his face and just don't, don't turn away. Just um, keep, keep seeking, seeking him because he is going to bring you through it. And sometimes victory comes in ways we don't expect. And you can trust him because he is faithful to write your story the way he sees fit. And it's going to be for your good and his glory. That's good. Thank you, Jana. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, hey, some of you are here, and, and we want to um, we want to pray for you. Um, and I want to say two things. Some of you are in a spot right now where you just feel like you are right in the middle of the oil press. Um, there's somebody in this room who your marriage fell apart this weekend, or your kids are going the wrong way, or the depression is overwhelming, or the finances won't get themselves together, and it looks like you're going to lose the house. And if that's you, what I want to say is hope in God. Hope in God. Believe that brokenness will lead to blessing, that more crushing means greater anointing, and believe that after the cross comes resurrection, that those whose sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning, and that those who sow in tears will reap in joy. And so here's what I'm doing. I am daring you to believe that God will be faithful. I am daring you to believe that your mess can become your message, your trial can become your testimony, and your pain can become your platform. I'm daring you to believe that. But then here's also who I'm speaking to. Um, You might be here right now, and everything is falling apart right now, and you are fighting so hard to keep it together. And here's here's what I want to say to you. 
just go ahead and fall apart. Just let yourself totally fall apart and fall on the rock who is cleft for you. He who is faithful to begin a good work will bring it to completion. And just say to him, God, I trust you. I don't know how, but I'm all yours. Break me. Break me, okay? And so here's what we want to do. Um, Jana, will you pray for our church? And we want to pray for you. I'd love to. Father, thank you so much for just letting us together together today as a family to worship you and to praise you for all you've done and all you will do, Father. Thank you for being a good dad who loves his kids and wants good things for them, Father. I pray for the person who is in the midst of their battle, in the midst of their struggle, and just wanting to see what you're doing in their life. I pray, Father, that you will just give them an extra sense of your peace and your presence, and that you will draw them near to see that you are going to give them a hope and a future. You are going to do good and not harm in their life, Father. You want them to know you more and in deeper ways than you, they've ever known before. And I just pray that you all give each of us just hearts to desire to know you more than anything else in this world, Father. Help us to know you, to love you, and help us to give, have testimonies that get a share of your goodness and love. Thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.